0: Hello and welcome to the Trapalow Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Our guest today is Tarek Brooks, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Combs Enterprise. He oversees business operations, new business development, and investment activity for the company. Tarek, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Happy to be here, Dan. First, I'd love to start with your experience at Combs Enterprise. It's definitely an interesting job where I'm sure you wear a number of hats. How did you get involved with the enterprise and how did you get involved with this job specifically?
1: It's interesting. I've had a, I've had a, a, a fun journey and career and I've had the benefit of having uh, a number of mentors who have always been there. Working for Bridgewater Associates, I was very amazed and 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 loving the experience as a part of the teams I worked on, but there was a piece of being there that wasn't fulfilling me in a way that I knew I needed to be fulfilled, and so when I had a conversation with my manager, uh, who's a former boss, uh, currently runs Black Entertainment Television, a guy named Scott Miller, then he mentioned that Puff and Combs Enterprises were looking for kind of new people for things, and so he introduced me to Puff. We had a conversation and. Um, started to understand more about where, where he was and his journey and a real desire to be in a position to take Combs Enterprises to a different place on his second journey. Obviously, the, the, the Combs Enterprises had had f- f- like incredible success before. Like you look at the journey. That they've been on, like you know, it's, it's been you know historic at this point. But he, he felt like he needed different thinking and, and, and different folks for a part of the second journey. And so, um, as we got to know each other, I became really intrigued about that because you know, as as you mentioned in my career, like I've I've enjoyed what it's like to work, you know, with other black entrepreneurs. Um, and so that was an exciting part of the journey. And uh, here, I mean, look, it, it, it is never a dull moment, right? Like in, in, in this job, I am responsible for both um, overseeing our current portfolio and working with all the leaders that make those businesses excel every day and making sure that we're doing great things to create value, as well as, you know, constantly exploring and think about, thinking about what we should be doing next and what we should be doing new, whether that's an investment, a joint venture, uh, partnership, you know, you name it. Uh, and that, that starts with me and my team. And so um, it is a, a situation where I, I'm kind of wearing multiple hats every day.
0: Can you say a little bit more about those phases of Combs Enterprise? You mentioned that there was the phase before you joined and Puff wanted to bring this to another level. What was that phase before and what specifically did he want from this next little phase that you've been a part of? I mean, like when you when you go back and study
1: the phenomenal success of of Combs Enterprises, I think there is a a consistent thread, which is that Puff has consistently been able to apply, you know, his marketing talents and expertise to uh, kind of transition points in culture that he's been able to identify and be spot on. So, you know, whether that was understanding where hip hop music was and that it was ready for that bad boy sound and that bad boy aesthetic, right. And being able to be there and deliver that and market that to a world that was hungry and ready for it without actually saying it. Like he just he was able to recognize what was going on in culture that, to be able to see that similarly with Sean John to say like, look, this is how we are dressing. This is what mainstream um, fashion houses are giving us. There's a gap in what's needed. And being able to kind of really figure out, again, using that talent he has uh, to to be able to say, we're ready for this. Um, Ciroc, similar story. Right. You know, you go back and it's it's funny because we're so far removed from, you know, where we were back then, like all brands kind of now market to black people, market to the hip hop culture. But back then it wasn't the case. You know, it was really a couple of boutique brands. And then beyond that, it was like malt liquor. Like, and that, that was every, that's all anybody thought we were valuable for. And again, Puff saw the opportunity to say, you know, an ultra premium mark, an ultra premium product could, could be delivered to this market and be successful. And, you know, that's fundamentally what he's done with, with Ciroc. So again, you have this history of phenomenal successes, right? And so I think, and, and, and I remember seeing Puff on Instagram talking about the notion of moving from me to we, And so when you think about a lot of what he's focused on these days is understanding how to leverage his platform, his voice, his celebrity, his network for the betterment of our people and our community. And so, you know, there will still be ideally some great business opportunities we capitalize on, but I think now more than ever, he's really focused on ensuring that everything he does is consistent with that me to we narrative and, and, and his goal of leveraging everything he's built and everything he does for the betterment of black people.
0: This sounds a lot like the interview that Puff did with Ray Dalio a month or two ago. He talked a lot about getting to that next level. And I think you were shouted out on that interview. I remember that right.
1: Well, it was, it was it's funny because it was only a few months after I joined Combs Enterprises that both Ray and Puff were named by Forbes as, you know, two of the hundred greatest business minds of the century. Um, and it just fortunately worked out that their names, when they line those folks up to take the picture, um, you know, Combs is not that far alphabetically from Dalio in, in that line. I was able to introduce the two of them and they, uh, at that moment began what has grown into a real, a real friendship and a real relationship. And so, um, it makes sense that, that, that theme of Puff's talking about kind of where he is now in life and why it's important and what the challenges are to that or something that you would have a conversation with a Ray Dalio about because, you know, Ray has, you know, made it his, his life's work to, you know, really seek to understand how the world works and be able to crack complicated problems and have points of view. And now at the stage of life he's at, share that with people um and and so he 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 sees a spark in Sean that that makes him want to invest his time and energy in in what he's doing because again it 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 earnestly comes from a great place of wanting to kind of you know pay it forward like he he puff knows like you know our community our people have been fundamental to the success and and
0: with him everything really does start with a love of of our people and and our culture right and it spoke back to this humble attitude that I think that Puff can have with stuff like this, because it's easy for someone in his position to say, oh, I don't need mentors. I'm in my position. I am the one that is mentoring y'all. But no, he realized that there's someone that has done what he wants to do or is where he wants to be 20 years from now. So being able to reach out shows a lot of growth and maturity on his side too.
1: I'll tell you, one of the the places where um, Puff and Ray are actually very, very similar Is they are both, I mean, they're both incredibly smart guys, incredibly talented guys, but they are both very realistic about the fact that, like, they don't know it all and they don't have all the answers. And so they both work really hard to surround themselves with people who know more about things than they do Um, because they understand to get to the levels of success that they've had, you don't have to have all the answers yourself, right? Like, you just need to be able to find the people with the answers and work with them in good quality ways. And so they 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 both have that that kind of trait in common is to say like well wait let me let me let me think about let me stop and reflect on what I don't know and watch out for that and figure out who might have better
0: solutions than I have. Very, very similar approaches in that. Earlier, you spoke about the multiple hats that you have to wear in your role as COO. There's a number of portfolio brands, there's a number of investment activity. What is your day-to-day like? What are the different hats you have? What are the skills that you need to have to be successful in this type of job? Yep. So if if, if you think about an average day for me, um, and I'll
1: just use a couple of examples, You know, it may start with working with the, you know, spirits and marketing team on some upcoming campaigns for Siroc, And then I may shift to um, working with the team over at Revolt and how they're thinking about what their next strategy is for growing their digital business. And, you know, I may, while I'm with Revolt, evaluate an opportunity to partner with another media property and understand what that looks like. I then will have... Um, meetings to explore, new spaces where we're not currently um, engaging with, with our biz dev team. So new markets, new products, new concepts that you know, p- could potentially fit in our portfolio. Having that, having those meetings, running the analysis, doing the research, going back and forth with the team to, to develop a point of view and a thesis about whether or not we should explore something. Um, and then a very fundamental thing that 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 I believe all business leaders have to do is really spend time thinking about: we have the right people in place. You know what skill sets are missing. What are the things that we're going to need if we start to go down certain roads with current businesses, or if businesses growing up and really trying to be on top of that with our HR and recruiting team to to make sure we have the right people in the building, um, because. Again, we we are very ambitious, like we want to be great and win in a number of different ways. And that's going to take a number of different people and and, and personality types and ways of thinking. And so I constantly have to be thinking about whether or not we have the team we need to to achieve the goals we have. And so, look, they they are long days uh, and they are full. But and it is like for some people, I think the context switching might be disruptive. But I think for me, it works well. Like I like to be able to get my hands dirty in different types of problems and work with different types of people and learn things from different types of people. And so this job really enables me to do that. And and it's one of those things where, too, I can be humble in knowing what I do well and not having to be an expert at all things, because my job is to help make sure we have the experts we need that we can rely on. Um, and, And so I'm constantly making
0: sure our team is set up to operate that way you've talked a lot about teams and being able to staff and those types of things making sure you have the right people what are some of the tougher decisions that you've had to make
1: so i think um look any anybody would tell you that that you know hiring and recruiting is one of the toughest things you have to do you know as a manager of any company like you know particularly in a world where you know thankfully for our country you know you know, unemployment's pretty low, but that means it's really hard, a really tough job market out there for trying to find the talents you need. I think one of the things that you have to do that can be difficult is ensuring that you always hold a super high bar for the people you bring into your organization and you don't let the pain of not currently having that person influence you to make a bad decision. Right. Like so. So, you know, if you if you have a particular gap and you don't have I'm making this up, if you don't have a sales guy right now and, and you're feeling the pain of that every day, you're looking at the numbers and your sales aren't what it should be because you don't have that sales guy. You know, you could be inspired to say, like, well, this guy is I right. most of what I want and, you know, he could probably do the job and you start making excuses versus having that very high bar to say, look, I want a star to be able to look at this person's track record and be able to see he's been a star his his light is only shining brighter he's growing he hasn't topped out he or she has a potential and, and feel feel that way about every hire you make cuz it's just that important i mean one of the um one of the principles we, we we talked about when i used to work at Bridgewater was the idea that you know you have to hire very very carefully cuz the cost of hiring wrong is very high and so like you have to be thoughtful you have to keep a high bar you have to be diligent with the research and the background checks and all those things and 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 you have to be disciplined enough that you know to tolerate the current pain and not having that thing filled rather than you know risking
0: filling that thing or that role with with the wrong person. And that's where the the culture piece comes in too, because this is something that I've experienced at past jobs as well. It's definitely strong throughout Silicon Valley. You have the people that were brought on with the early teams that wore multiple hats and they can do the job you need, but the organization's growing. And at some point, you're going to want to have seasoned operators in there. It's of like if you think about a military, right? Like, you know, military
1: is not all one thing like you have your infantry and then you have your snipers and then you have your SEAL team. Like you, you, you have to really be thoughtful about, one, how your organization is designed well, first, what it is you are trying to achieve and then how your organization is designed to get there for the point in time that it's at. Right. And, and then be ruthless about ensuring that when you stick somebody in the box, like you feel confident, like, you know, there is no better person for that box at this point in time. And again, even with that, you're going to be wrong sometimes in being able to kind of recognize those mistakes, pivot and 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 kind of retool, like what you're looking for, how you are assessing, how you are onboarding,
0: all those things matter. Talk to me a little bit about the investment activity. What does that look like for Combs Enterprise and what is your role specifically with that?
1: Yeah, so given Puff's, um, you know, platform and and, and and status and reach, you know, we get, a number of kind of inbound opportunities to look at companies, to invest, um, to, you know, whether that's like a more active position where they want Puff to be actively involved in the business, or if they want to just be a passive investor, um, we get lots of those opportunities. And one of the things we always have to consider is our opportunity cost of whatever we do. Like if we do a, we may not be able to do B or C in the future. So we have to think very hard about like what the, Expected return of anything we do is to make sure it justifies what we might not be able to do in the future. Right. So we have to be very, very um, rigorous around that. We also have to be very thoughtful about the fact that, like in a lot of cases, you know, uh, a- a- an entrepreneur or a company may want Puff as an investor to be able to market to the world that he's involved. And that has an inherent value. So we have to think about the idea of. You know, some folks call it a promoter, or you know, just the pricing of whatever the investment is based on this idea that having puff as a part of your cap table is inherently valuable, and so that's another concept that we have to always be thinking of. You know, what is that value to this opportunity? Um, and, and again, like I think the, the the folks who are thinking about it well don't just think about an investment from us as Dollars, like I think you're missing it if you think the most important thing from us is dollars, because you could just get dollars from any private equity fund, VC, that kind of. uh, Assuming you have a quality idea and can raise money, but um, you know, from us it's different, right? Like, like if I was on the other side of the table talking to Combs Enterprises, I'd really want to understand how valuable the affiliation was. You know, what I was going to actually do with the capital that I was raising. I was ensuring that, like the, the 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 one plus one makes three, right? Like, because you know, Sean Combs on the cap table, I'd certainly then want to make sure, however, I was going to use that value was going
0: to give me outsized return relative to just getting the
1: money from somewhere else. Mm.
0: So, what's an example of a one plus one equaled three investment that you felt like everyone turned out better afterward, specifically Combs Enterprise?
1: Yeah, so I. <laughs> So I don't really we, we don't really pub- publicize our our, our, our our kind of passive investments that way, um, you know. Obviously, we are a private shop and, and, and we keep those things private. Um, but what I will tell you is, is is you know Sean does have a a a solid track record of um call it you know private you know passive investment and in their returns like that. If if I was able to disclose some of those things, there be there be some names you knew on there um, that I've done well, and so and so I think you know you know the the, the rigor applied to those situations for us is, is in some ways no different than private equity shops do all day. The only difference is we also have to make sure we're getting appropriately um, compensated for that
0: kind of qualitative value of having you know Sean's in, in involvement. And I know that you can't give a specific example, but I'm curious at the th- thought process behind it because when people think of Nas, they're like, oh yeah, Nas invested in Ring, Nas invested in Lyft and he invested in PillPack or Jay-Z invested in Uber. They're able to rattle off a lot of those, but I do understand that Puff is a bit more private when it comes to that. Is there a reason why he hasn't, or why you all haven't made those as public in that way? I mean, I, I think I think for us, like, given,
1: given our, what I would call more active investments, I mean, it really is a desire for us to be highest returning opportunities, opportunities where we are putting the asset that is Sean Combs to work at the, for the benefit of a particular vehicle, right? So whether that would be Revolt or Sirac or, or, you know, Bad Boy, anything else. And so from our perspective, Um, It it is mostly about those things being the primary uses of of capital. And those are generally things where, you know, his potential upside is significantly
0: higher just based on the the amount of the value he's able to capture in those deals. Right. And. At least with this conversation, it seems like a lot of these investments have been more inbound or people are reaching out to y'all like, Hey, I think you should look at this. How much of it is the other way? Are you act or you or your team actively looking at the landscape saying, Oh yeah, let's try to get a hand in this. We see what's going on over there.
1: So 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 we definitely kind of do some of that independent of, of Puff. But then Puff also will say, hey, check out this space. Check out this industry. Like, I've seen something intriguing. Go take a look at it. So so we will do that, and we'll, we'll oftentimes have conversations with entrepreneurs to understand, you know, what they're doing, how they're doing, and, and, and whether or not it makes sense for us to explore what something might be. Because, like, you could have – look, I'm, I'm making this up, but you, you could I could easily see a scenario where – you know, some team of talented young black people have this startup in enterprise software or something like that, where they're going to do a great job and they, they're phenomenally talented, but like there really, they're really may not be a thing where we say, okay, if we added this strong Holmes asset to it, that we create outsized value and help. So, and, and again, I'm making it up, but like there are scenarios we say, like, this is great and let's, let's follow, let's keep our eye on them, but maybe it's not a thing for us to deploy capital and time to versus something that again, generally speaking, is more, you know, culture facing, more consumer facing, where you could actually, you know, get to a logical and empirical kind of assessment of what his impact could be on that thing. And then you start to have a different level of conversation. But, but, but we do, we, we, we are constantly watching the world around us to see how things are evolving and, and, and what might make sense. Um, and ideally, in, in, in best case scenarios, there are opportunities where not only would Puff's involvement with a particular entity be of value to that entity, but there's also some kind of portfolio effect where the brands could actually work together with the brands in our portfolio because that's where you start to get real real synergy, right? So, like, if you think about a thing like um, the Revolt Summit, amazing experiences in Atlanta and L.A., you know, featured activations from Ciroc, Ciroc VS, right, like helping us introduce Ciroc um, Brandy to folks who may or may not have otherwise been um, exposed to it in a, in a, in a, in a setting that, that, that is comfortable and one that allows us to really engage in a deep way. And so, and so, where you know where we had opportunities where we could do similar things, you'd see us show up that way. I mean, one investment that is is public that we made that I think is 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 a good example of that I will talk about is a company called. Uh, Play Versus is a is a, is a company in the esports space. They're creating platforms for the amateur part of esports, um, you know, whether that be high school or collegiate level. Um, and Delane, the founder of that business, so we made an investment there. But Delane also participated in the Revolt Summits in different ways. And, and And it was able to kind of, again, you see like synergy value, like getting his face in front of a bunch of young black entrepreneurs is important because he's a role model in that way and a phenomenal one. Um, but then he also benefits from being able to say he's got Sean in the cap table and then they obviously the capital investment helps fund the business and all those things. So that is a case where I'm willing to, you know, let you know open the door a little bit because I think it is just a phenomenal case and I, and I have nothing but amazing uh, expectations
0: for play versus and delaying and that team over there. They're doing phenomenal work. That's what's up. I appreciate you letting us in a little bit. You had to give us a little something. Yeah, but look, I can tell you all about Ciroc and Revolt, all these things I, 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 I'm welcoming people to. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about um, your experience just with portfolio companies overall, because before Diddy, you had worked for Bob Johnson and his portfolio companies as well. Obviously, two of the more well-known black moguls in America. Could you talk a little bit about how the how the styles differed, how you would compare one to the other, because I think a lot of people see the names and see them on TV and award shows, but they'd be curious to be brought under the hood to hear how those experiences are similar and how they're different
1: yeah so no I think it's a great question so so you know I have had the benefit uh, throughout my career really learning from the best right and so um while while Bob and, and Puff are two different people, two different styles, like there are certain things that are um, very similar in their approach. And I guess I, I'll talk more about like places that, that they're similar. Like um, I think they care a lot about, especially for the things that they're where, where they're going to put their capital to work. They care a lot about their ability to impact the business. Meaning, again, it kind of goes back to the point I was making, like, if, if, if you were just coming to Bob for capital or Sean for capital, you're probably not going to get nearly the attention of, of an opportunity that enabled them to put their capital to work, but where they were uniquely suited to create outsized value. I think they both care a lot about that. Um, I think the other thing they both care a lot about is ensuring, you know, if they, particularly in cases where they're in partnerships, being in business with best in class partners, Right, like I like that 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 was one thing I, I, I took I take away from both of them. Like when when you know Bob would you know get ready to launch a fund or launch a new concept, he'd be talking to the best in class shops on Wall Street. Um, when Puff, you know, if he's in spirits, he's talking to Diageo, best in class. You know, if he's talking about fragrances with Sean John, he's talking to Estee Lauder, best in class. Just that that whole pattern of you know, associating themselves and what they do well with best in class people to do the rest is a a formula that has worked very, very, very well for them. Um, they both, um, spend a lot of energy, um, focused on finding super talented people and then empowering those people, right? Like they both have the benefit of understanding through their successes that nothing actually goes up in a straight line. Like you're going to have your bumps, you're going to have your mistakes, but they they want to consistently bet on super talented people, and then give them the room to run, the room to grow, the room to innovate. Sometimes it's the room to fall, right? Like you 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 have that in 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 both of their worlds. But I think what makes them particularly empowering, and I think what makes the people who come out of both of their camps, um, particularly you know equipped to go on and do whatever it is they do next, is that 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 their, their mentors and bosses in those cases. Have, you know, given them a, a platform, pushed them to, to kind of grab it, own it, run with it, learn what that takes. And so you leave with that toolkit that you develop um, um, through time with, with, with both of them. And, and again, like they, they both are phenomenal business people. And, and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be able to do the things I do if I didn't have, you know, the, 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 the mentorship that I've gotten from both of them over, over the years. How are they different? So I think, um, and it was it was a funny experience for me. Just the notion of um, um, puff celebrity. It just you know, in, in my career, you know, having worked at Bridgewater, top investment shop, Bob Johnson, top investor, entrepreneur, whatever. Like the the the, the Sean Combs level <laughs> of celebrity is just a different animal. <laughs> and I think it's I, I think it is hard for people to actually value the 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 impact of that platform. Like even when I talk to people, I try to understand like try to help them understand like how many people he can just easily reach. Like the, the kind of waves through culture that he can start with, with the momentum that he builds. Like those kinds of things are hard to actually quantify at times, but like those are things that, that you only see when they get put to work. Right. So when you, when, when you think about the like phenomenal success of Serac and the time it's been around, like that, that right. that's, that's not an accident. Like, like few people are equipped to do that thing. Now, what, what, you know, Bob is also great at being able to do is is, is really be able to focus on, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of the business and getting down to drivers of cash flow and those kinds of things. Because I, I think that's where he can look at an opportunity where you or I might have said, like, you know, whatever, there's five bucks in this. Bob, with the way he thinks about things and his vision and the way he puts things together would be able to see 7 or $8 in that same thing, right? And, and again, it's just like they, they are both visionaries
0: and it's just a different a different type of visionary. The celebrity aspect is interesting because I think if Bob Johnson is walking down the street somewhere here in San Francisco, maybe he might get noticed, but I think for the most part, he would be able to go about his business. I don't know if there's a street that Diddy could do that in. No, it- <laughs> i don't think so I, and again that that again that, that that for me was an eye-opening thing
1: like it, it, it's an amazing thing and and what's also amazing about that is how like gracious with his time and energy he is with people right like like he he enjoys being amongst the people i think he actually gets it back from them that way I, I think he's a he's a true extrovert in that way that he gets his energy from the people and so i think that's why you see him engaged that way because it is a two-way street people get excited to see him he gets excited to you know, exchange that love back and forth. And so
0: I think that's, I think it's a real and genuine thing. So has always been interesting to me because as you mentioned, I don't think that anyone that wasn't a celebrity could have done this because when you think culturally black folks don't really, or historically weren't really drinking vodka, Like that, right? It was always brown. Like, if you would have thought what type of rapper could elevate a brand, you would have thought it would be like a crown or some type of brown liquor they could have brought to that next level. So, the fact that he did this with a dormant vodka brand is remarkable. No,
1: I mean, look, again, I think it just speaks to the genius, right? Like, he was able to see not only the space where we weren't being talked to, um, but also figure out how to position his brand in a way that really own celebration. And so the notion of, you know, the Ciroc experience being one where if you hustle hard, you deserve the right to celebrate. And the only way to do that is with Ciroc, I think, um, um, is, is what rings true to people. You know, like I, like I believe Puff is good enough, he could have did it with apple juice. But I think... I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think his ability to be really because it, it really is, you know, in, in his way of brand building and storytelling, it's really capturing an emotion, capturing it, a feeling. And I think what he's been able to do over the years is really capture the essence of, you know, you work hard, you hustle hard, you go hard. Um, and, and and when you do that and reap the benefits, it, it's OK to take time and celebrate and be grateful and be happy and have your friends and loved one around you. And it doesn't matter if that's in a bar or a lounge or at a brunch or at a pool party. Like it, it, like it doesn't matter. Like what, what matters is that feeling of, I want to take time to celebrate with the folks I care about um, and be able to have a a, a high quality, you know, great tasting drink when I do it. Uh, I, I think he's consistently captured that in the way he's positioned Ciroc over the years. And so, you know, I'm excited about what the future holds, but because I think there's just a
0: a lot more room for that to run. Do you think that the brand and the power of that brand has ever been overstated or there was a little bit too high expectations of what it could achieve? Because one of the things that I think about is read a lot about the Byron Allen case. And when Diddy had chimed in, he talked about his own challenges and he talked a lot about revolt. And I remember that initially when Revolt was launched, Diddy had made a few claims. He said, yes, we're going to be in a, a million or a billion, I forget how many devices, and this is going to be large. But he was pretty open that starting a cable network is challenging and you need a lot of resources. And I wondered if that and it mainly was a reflection of, oh, this is challenging. But we thought that Diddy's success and his brand could have brought us to a a pretty high level, but there are still roadblocks that we didn't anticipate or we thought that we could have gotten past. I wouldn't say there was an
1: overvaluing on the brand. What I would say is I think people underestimated how difficult it is to have the kind of success he's been able to have. And I think because he's done it multiple times, people I think maybe assume it's easier than it is. And one of the things I appreciate about him is he's always talked about you know, starting a cable network being one of the hardest things he's ever done. Like it's it's a it's a very, very tough business. It's a very capital intensive business. It's also a business that's going through a massive transition from the way things work to how they're gonna work in the future. Right? Like if you think about, you know, cable in the arrow, like when Bob Johnson started BET, right? Like like, you know, you didn't even have like the internet at levels that you had it at. Like not alone concepts like you know, Netflix and Amazon prime and all these things that are share of the media, uh, of media consumption. so, um, I think it rightly is very hard now at the same time, like was right to set very high expectations. I mean, I think, you know, part of what you got to do to push yourself is set, set goals that are outlandish and and not be afraid to be a big dreamer. Um, but I think part of what the remote journey has just showed is like, yeah, no, like it's, it's, it's really hard. And, And I, and I think, you know, and in, in, in those experiences where, where you get more of the meteoric rise right away, it makes it seem to, to, to people that those things are easier. So therefore, this time, something must have been wrong. No, it's just that, like, people don't see what was behind the curtain through that meteoric rise of Ciroc, like how hard people were pushing, how hard they were driving, how creative and innovative they were really being to drive that. Um you know, similarly with Revolt, like it, like there are a lot of moving pieces that kind of define everything that's happening in the kind of TV, cable, satellite streaming ecosystem. They're all and, and great managers. All they can try to do is make the smartest bets they can with the data they have at the time. And so you're constantly in that prog- process of reevaluating decisions you made, doubling down on some bets, pulling up on others. And so it's just the reality of like, I, th- I think, um, you know, it's just a, a difficult business at a difficult time. But what I will say is, I'm excited about the fact that Revolt is stronger than ever. Right, like Revolt's, you know, had some great successes with the brand with new shows like State of the Culture. Um, the Revolt Summits were amazing live events experience that that have kind of exposed the brand to people in a the way they haven't been before. I think um, the, the 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 leadership team and the business changes that have been made over over the years have put the business in a more uh, on, on a stronger foundation, kind of ready for the future. So it's it's an exciting time to think about what's next for a revolt because, you know, at a time where the business is prime to to, to really accelerate its growth, you know, hip hop dominates popular culture. So, like, where else would you want to be but a brand that was unapologetically hip hop? And so I think it's a great time for for revolt, and and, and I'm I'm excited about what the future can hold.
0: Yeah, I think. I think specifically with the cable aspect, I think the timing seemed a bit tough because I think it was 2013 when it started. Let's say it was late 90s or early 2000s. There would have been less competitors and there could have been a little bit more benefit to getting through past the gatekeepers because once you kind of reach that point where you're picked up by... uh, one of the satellite networks, whether you're a dish, a directory V, or you're on a, di- um, a digital cable channel, then life may be a little bit easier. Or if it started five years later, let's say it started 2017, 2018, then we're looking at a completely over the top podcasting and video and all that which revolts already doing now that would be even more focused in so it's weird how that early 2010s era was such a difficult time to be in because we didn't know what the next five years were going to rapidly turn into so
1: so i think there's something right about that but then i think it's also like you know as we as we look back as kind of you know if, if you Monday morning quarterback, right? Like if you think about, if you use the converse of that argument and think about Ciroc at, 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 at 2008, right. Countries going into this recession, housing crisis and all this, you know, if you put, if you ask people to bet, like, would you bet this was an opportune time to build a huge global high end vodka brand? People probably say, nah, it's a better time to do something different. And Ciroc ended up being a meteoric success, right? So it is, you're, like you, you never like that. There, there, there are macro dynamics that you'll never have control over. And again, like all you, all you can do is is be attentive to the data and be smart about pivots. Right. Because because, the, you know, you, the, the, there is never a true kind of perfect window. But but I agree with you, the landscape. And this is what I'm saying. Like if like you think about the difference in the landscape when when Bob was building BT versus when Pup was building Revolt. the landscape was very, very, very different. And, and and there were all new dynamics around how people received content would they want to what they wanted to see how they consume it all those things were changing in real time and so it just you know it, it exacerbated just an already challenging capital intensive business um, but like i said the good news is like we we are now on strong footing and, and I, I think prime for, for real growth um, both in all the numbers that we
0: assess and in our impact to the culture. Oh, definitely. It's been it's been exciting to see what Revolt's been able to do and where things are going to. I actually I just got Gen Hip Hop in the mail, so I got to go through it. Part of
1: what I love about that that Gen Hip Hop study is is one you know, we are taking an empirical market research view towards helping people understand what hip hop is really about and what the power of hip hop really is and I think you know, I think we may be you know one of the first media entities to really take that on in that kind of classic white paper kind of way, um, and so and so that that's exciting for me. But it also you know, as as we teach and explain and tell that story, people start to understand that you know we have a certain special position in the culture. You know, not just based on who our founder is, but based on the positioning that. We are building and we are holding around a brand that is, you know, for the people, empowering the people, giving people, you know, chances that that other networks may
0: not be willing to give. And so I think I think that's a big part of our our, our ethos. No, for important. sure. So reaching the tail end, last couple questions for you. I'm interested at the business, if you will, of. Diddy's birthday party, because this is clearly not just a cause for celebration. There is a reason why there are top-notch photographers, why the people that are invited are invited, and whether it's deals that are actually happening there or understanding how the fame and the reach of that helps extend more opportunities in the future, I'm sure that that's probably a conscious thought, and that may influence how events like that are created
1: Diddy Fifty was genuinely a celebration of life, right? Like with with a person with a platform as big as his, you never really have the opportunity to say like everybody who cares about me can come, and <laughs> like you don't you you don't have that, and so you 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 spend the time to kind of ensure you have a great experience for the people who who are there, and I think for us, I, I actually think we decidedly did not you know, kind of think about, all right, who do we want to do a business deal with? So let's invite those folks to the party. Like this wasn't that type of thing. Uh, I think that said, what it still showed was like his importance to culture, right? Like, like you know, all of those people in that room could have been anywhere else, right? Um, and, 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 you know, like the fact that they chose to show up that night to genuinely show him love on his birthday, I think it's just a testament to who he is as a person. I, I think you know those things are also reasons why he's able to get the deals he does. But 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 I think for that particular instance and in that particular night, it really was about creating an environment for him to be surrounded by love, for him to celebrate his journey, and be kind of thoughtful and reflective on where he's been, and and kind of use that as a bit of a foundation for where he's gonna go. Because uh, I mean, for a guy like him, the sky's the limit. Like he really, you know, and he and he's shown throughout his career, if he sets his mind to something, he's going to get it done. And so and so, I think it was just a, a real pause and reflect moment to just take that in and, you know, like, it's what you do it all for, for like, you know, you know, to, 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 to be able to have a solid base for your family and be able to be a great role model to your children and be able to, you know, look out at your peers and see both people who have influenced you and people who you've influenced and really have those genuine, intimate moments to say, like, you know, I appreciate you. And and, and, and and that's what it was for
0: us yeah there's only a few events i could think of that are to that level of course you have the rock nation brunch tyler perry's studio when he announced it that was a pretty big event i mean that isn't necessarily an annual event but i mean even just going back to diddy's white parties and all the things he had like this is very much on brand and i think will continue to be
1: yeah no i think i think as in like the 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 funny thing is, right? Like, if you watch, if you watch his Instagram, like, you know, every every so often, you're gonna see him just dancing, like, like he he like he is that guy, like that. That's genuinely who he is, like. that's not a character, right? like that. That is the person he is, right? Like, and I think, like I said, I, I believe he is extroverted in a way where, like, he actually gets his energy from ha- seeing other people have a good time, and, and that thing just builds off each other, and that and that and that's what inspires him, right? Like that. That's what brings out his creativity. The idea of like, you know the way he shows love is to be a facilitator of people having these amazing times and experiences, whether that's through a record or through a drink or through a television show or through a party, right? Like I think that that's part of what he sees as his gift to give to the world. Right. And so like this party was an example of that, right? Like it, it sure it presented an opportunity for folks who cared about him to let him know that, but it also presented an opportunity for him to give these people he cares about, this great time and great experience. And so I
0: think, uh, I think this is a part of his DNA. And I think that's a good note to end on as well. Tark, this has been a pleasure, but before we let you go, can you share with the people anything that you'd like to plug or anything that you think the Trapital audience should know about?
1: You know, Combs Enterprises is always, you know, looking for talented
0: people, you know, always looking
1: for stars, um, creative talent, marketing talent. I mean, you name it. Like we, we, we want to build a best in class A team. And so- People who want to, you know, work hard and be the best and really aspire to make a difference in the world through their talent should should consider us as a place to come to come be. I think um, we should also look out for um, all of the things that that we have going on and coming up. I mean, um, this weekend, their highest award, phenomenal for us. Um, Notorious Big is being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Big Forest, um, Puff, and the, and the great folks at MTV are bringing back making the band. That's going to be a smash. Um, you know, I mean, you name it. Like, like we 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 got great stuff coming. You know, again, like for the folks who, you know, like you said, like thought Brown was the way to go. You know, check out check out Sirac. personally partial to. Uh, that on añejo, but that's just me. But so my tequila drinkers, I think, I think, I think is 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 well worth a taste. So you know, you know, without without you know, shamelessly <laughs> plugging too much, the beauty of having a portfolio is as vibrant as ours is. There's always things I can send folks to that are that are uh, that, that 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 we stand by and authentically believe are are, are, are great.
0: So uh, so yeah, man, I'll, I'll leave you with that. No, thanks, man. Appreciate it, Tark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again. Absolutely. Man. Anytime. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, I have two favors to ask. One, please tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. So spread the word. That helps travel to grow and that helps this podcast grow. And second, Please go to Apple Podcast, go to iTunes, and leave a review for this podcast. Leave a rating as well. Anyone that leaves a rating or review this week, if you send me the screenshot on Twitter or on Instagram, I will repost that screenshot. That will help it reach more people, and people can see that, and that can encourage more people to do so. So it's leverage the power of the people that enjoy this content and help spread the word out there. And as I always say... Please go to the Trapital.co website and you can get more great content. Make sure you sign up for the email list. You can either go to trapital.co lco and join the email list there. You'll get the Trapital insights in your inbox or you can text Trapital at 345-345. It's easy as that. Thanks again. See you next week.